Hey everybody, welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm your host, Brandon David. As always, great show today. Very scientific, very technical episode. We have Chris Emerson, PhD of Level, which specializes in rare cannabinoids and putting them into tablets. It is fascinating. We cover some of the more rare cannabinoids and their effect and why you may be interested in them. THCA, CBD, obviously, CBN, THCA. HCV, the list goes on and on and on, depending on what your ailment is. This is really the future of cannabis. We're really lucky to have Chris here to explain all of this to us. I really enjoyed the episode, guys. You are too. Before we jump into the show, I want to give a special shout out to our new sponsor and partner. Support for investing in cannabis comes from NorCal Cannabis Company, the most complete cannabis ecosystem in California. Market analysis, consumer segmentation, and first-party data analytics are helping NorCal Cannabis shape the industry in new ways every day. From cultivation to production, delivery, retail, brands, and beyond, this is cannabis. To learn more, visit the future of cannabis.com. Yeah, uh, NorCal has a lot of great brands out there today. You really should go check them out. One Life, they own Big Owls. They're really growing this portfolio uh, and shaping it up nicely. I'm looking forward to having the conversation with Joel, their CMO, who came from Twitter, who's building this whole strategy. Should be really interesting when uh, when that episode comes around. But for now, let's get into what is a very fascinating episode with Chris Emerson, PhD of Level. Tune in, listen up, get acquainted. Well, Chris, thanks for joining us. Really excited to have you on. It's well overdue. I don't know how long ago we met before, but your company, I think, is one of the most unique in the industry. So I've been looking forward to having this conversation. But welcome, man. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Brandon. Appreciate yeah, it. Absolutely. You guys inviting me along. Yes, long overdue. It's been a couple of years since we first initially met. So. Yeah, yeah. And it's come a long way. Level has come a long way since then. Um, but let's just get started. An easy one. What's Level? Level is a cannabinoid company uh, with the whole thesis is around effects-based or targeted effects from cannabis through the application of unique or more rare cannabinoids formulated in ratios you can't access from the plant alone. Got it. Very succinct. That was a great answer. Thank you. Um, let's talk about the rare cannabinoids. Most people are familiar with THC, CBD, the crazy CBD world. We'll talk about that in a little while. But talk about some of the other rare cannabinoids, the ones that you're focusing on, and, and why they're important, why we need them. Sure. So yeah, THC, CBD, and I would say all of the acidics I would still throw into the more rare. So THCA, CBDA, these are cannabinoids nobody's really accessing yet, but they're produced uh, from the plant initially. Uh, I think the most exciting cannabinoids right now are THCV, CBG, uh, a lot of buzz around CBN. Uh, I think in the next couple of years, we'll see some CBC coming out. That's a much harder one to get to. What's CBC again? CBC is uh, cannabichromine and it's produced. So when the plant produces CBGA, it shuttles it into three major um, enzymatic pathways, and you can get THCA, CBDA, and CBCA. Okay. So there's a, a third synthase, CBCA synthase, that um, folds CBGA into CBCA. Um, but there's not been a, a much work on it. So, you know, putatively anti inflammatory, non psychoactive, um, but just another really one I'm interested in. Got it. Very cool. Yeah, let's, let's touch on those a little bit. So, THCV, 
there's a lot of hype, a lot of discussion around it in the cannabis industry that it can suppress your hunger, mm -hmm. give you more energy. Are you finding that? Is that relevant? I think the... I think the focusing and stimulating aspect of THCV is definitely one of the attributes that almost everybody experiences. Uh, we don't really talk much about the appetite suppressant. I, I know GW did a ton of work on it and they looked at it for a long time and, but it's something that we're not, uh, we're, we're not reporting mm -hmm. or, you know, and people come back to us and they do say that it does have that quality. Mm -hmm. um, but what we really like it for is, is the stimulating and focusing aspect of it. And so, uh, you know, one of our products stimulate has, um, it's a, it's a sublingual tablet and it has one milligram of THCV, one milligram of THC and one milligram of CBG. And it's intended to replace your cup of coffee. And it does. It's awesome. I'm a big user Are you? Oh, of, yeah. le of level products. Okay. Not every day, sure. but a lot, especially when I'm traveling. I'm sure you don't condone this openly, but um, it's very subtle. Nobody knows what it is. It just looks like a pill like any other. Mm -hmm. And the impact is real and long lasting for me. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, a lot of people use it, wake up in the morning, have a cup of coffee, have a stimulate and they're good to go for yeah, a long time. They're good to go. We actually have a four milligram THCV gum coming out later this year. That's super exciting. It is. And so, and that one definitely gives you a really nice boost of, of focus and energy. Yeah. So. And how does the um, sort of bioavailability or the absorption or the impact, I'm searching for the right word here, um, differ between a gum and a tablingual, which is a little pill you put under your tongue? Yeah. So the right tablingual, there. it's sublingually administered. So it dissolves and you get um, uptake through like a oral, oral becosal. Uh, the gum, it's interesting. Uh, I think you get a lot of uptake still um, through the same kind of pathways because it, it does onsets pretty quick, mm -hmm. but the action is a bit longer. So you're probably swallowing some, you know, in there too. So you get a little bit through an oral route. Um, it's also for the CBD and THC we're releasing, there'll be 10 milligrams. Uh, so obviously you're going to get a much higher dose than say a tablingual, which is only three milligrams. Um, but we wanted to be really, you know, part of the thing about rare cannabinoids too, is we've never really looked at them. In, in this isolation and these kind of concentrations. And so as much as we could inherently say, look, you know, humans have been consuming cannabis for at a minimum 10,000 years, probably much, much longer. It, we don't, we don't know that it's ever been done in these kind of concentrations. And so it's a fine line of a, a moral and ethical obligation to not try and harm people, but at the same time still operate in the industry where a lot of us are pioneering different things and you know if we aren't doing it someone's going to be right behind doing it and so you know we try and release rare cannabinoids in a very small quantity you know potencies first so the three milligram or say for this thcv this four milligram um, so we can just get it on the market and and see how it's how it's received you know i don't want to give someone a 25 milligram thcv tablet and all of a sudden they have a very adverse event. Sure. Well, that's what happened with cannabis for a lot of years, right? Mm -hmm. People took really strong edibles and it turned them off forever. Yeah. Um, so we talked about THCV. How about uh, CBG? Yeah, CBG. So CBG comes from CBGA, which is the, the stem cell of all other cannabinoids, if you will. It, it's an amazing, amazing cannabinoid. They're you, just, you take, if most people that take CBD, there is, there's some type of physiological response, right? There, Call it psychoactivity, not call it psychoactivity. There's a change, right? Mm -hmm. CBG, from almost all the reports, it 
it doesn't do this. And, and we notice it and it's, um, empirically, it is a very powerful anti-anxiety. So we have a three milligram tablet that people use all the time if they have panic attacks or if they have high anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, you don't feel a different change, I, I would say, as you do when you consume CBD. And these are people that were on other anti-anxiety medication. They're weaning off of it. Yeah, we hear, we hear all kinds of stories. Uh, some people, you know, they use it. Um, they're not using other anti-anxiety medication, um, but they use it and it really helps them. And then we have other people saying, I couldn't take these anymore. They're very heavy tra- tranquilizers, right? Some of them. Yeah. So they're like, uh, it was having an adverse impact on my ability and my quality of life. And then I found these and it's, it's helped me to really use them synergistically. Right. Mm-hmm. So kind of, you know, the same thing that, uh, cannabis, a lot of the studies show that, when used in conjunction with opiate, if if you are having to deal with serious pain, you can significantly reduce the the amount of of opiate that you would have to use if you used in conjunction with cannabis. So, I don't know that it's always a zero or one, but there can be a lot of synergistic effects. The way that I look at it, and thankfully I've had very little surgery in my life, but if you have acute intense pain, you probably still need some opioids. That's just the way it is, right? Totally agree. But I think after three or five days of that, you need to get on a cannabis regimen quickly because that shit is addictive. It Mm -hmm. has a lot of negative impacts. And I've taken them, you know, in short periods of time when I needed it. And I don't feel good. You don't feel good from it. It's really... Yeah, yeah anyway, I'm not telling you anything. No, no, they're, they're really powerful drugs, and yeah. you're right. I think, you know, you have instances where you have a very acute thing, such as acute pain, and as much as cannabis is is amazing, it it has challenges with some of these things of very acute pain, right? It, it's better. Um, it helps take the edge off for a lot of people in different ways, but, yeah, if you're dealing with acute things. Yeah. Um, so how about CBN? CBN is really exciting, I think. CBN is exciting. Um, there's a, I think we're going to see a f- several different products coming to market this year. Not only us, but some other groups. Um, you know, there's been a few people that had it out for a while. Um, Mary's Medicinal comes to, to mind. They have a capsule. Um, but yeah, I think it empirically has pretty good sedating effects. Um, my experience doesn't really put you to sleep, but it really helps you get drowsy and make the eyelids heavy. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to see a lot of these products come to market. I think from a consumer and commercial perspective, this is like the holy grail, right? People have been using cannabis to fall asleep for years and mm-hmm. years and years. I guess more recently, CBD, it doesn't have that impact on me, but I think it does for some people. Yeah. But like you said, there is some mild psychoactivity and people wake up and they feel a little drowsy still, I think. Mm-hmm. They have a little bit of a CBD hangover. So the idea that something all natural can help you go to sleep and you feel no other effects for it, I mean, that's what cannabis has been waiting for, right? Like this huge effect. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, you know, finally we're at a point through where we are as society, our technology, what we understand science, and now in a quote unquote open free market for us to really, you, you know, unquote, yeah. do, uh, do cannabis. Um, it's, it's really exciting. So I think it puts us in a position to do, to do these things and we can look at it in a completely different way versus, you know, in the past 80 years, it's uh, been demonized and it was, it was used and well bred pretty much for a single purpose and that was as high of THC content as possible. Yeah. Um, and although I think a lot has come from it, there's been so much we've, we haven't been able to look at. 
So you brought up high THC content. In most retail environments still, there's a very strong reliance on the THC to dollar ratio. And look, sometimes really high THC stuff is great. I like to get high as much as the next guy, but we're not really doing ourselves any service by doing that. And like, there's this whole thesis of the new wave of cannabis consumers doesn't care about that. Are you playing to those people? Is your audience more old school cannabis people? You know, who's the demographic here? That's, it's a great question. It depends on, can depend on where you are in the state, even what dispensary you're in. I mean, it's still, the recreational market is still um, high THC. So you have to be able to offer products that resonate with consumers in that. So that's our Delta 9 Pro Tab. Mm -hmm. it, it, uh, resonates. Which is 25 milligrams. It's 25 right? milligrams of, of Delta 9 THC, um, three unique versions. We reinfuse steam distilled terpenoids so you can get the effects of sativa hybrid indica. Okay. So that is a, that is a, a really good product for us because the market still, still really wants that. Um, also, a lot of people who are doing pain management or maybe they can't sleep uh, do like higher doses. And since the edibles market really changed, um, at the advent of regulation, January 1st, 2018, there was a gap in the market. Mm -hmm. um, and it's the reason we actually developed that product because mm -hmm. it would allow us to play in a, an edibles market that we were never able to get to before. Got it. Um, so that's one aspect of it. And then you have this other one, uh, you know, the non-traditional consumer uh, that's, you know, coming into the industry. And so the products that speak to them can, you know, typically lower dose. Um, not necessarily, a lot of them are worried about psychoactivity, you know, and I think, um, not that it may not be founded, but I think it's, um, a bit over the top for a lot of them. So until they can get comfortable using cannabis and actually experiencing some psychoactivity, you know, they say, Oh, I just want something that's not gonna get me high at all. And so, you know, we make both low dose and higher dose products for that too. But the driver right now is still, it, the driver right now is still people who say, how much THC can I get and how much is it going to cost me? And it's still a major part of the industry. I also think that one of the things really advantageous about it is it's non-smokable, mm. right? Which mm. is a trend that I don't care about personally, but, <laughs> but, but is really important for a lot of people, right? It, it totally it's is, it's yeah. that easy entry point into mm -hmm. cannabis. Yeah. I think, you know, whether if you don't, if you don't consume cannabis and you didn't, you know, in the Prop 215 in earlier days, then, um, you know, I mean, the only way to consume it really was mainly through smoking. Mm -hmm. So if you didn't consume cannabis and you weren't a smoker, there's a lot of stigma um, and there are some health consequences around potential inhalation and smoking. And so offering people another way to view cannabis, you know, when they look at it and they say, wow, this looks like a tablet. Yep. I, I don't have to smoke it. And ever since I've, uh, I was a child, I've grown up taking tablets, whether mm -hmm. it's been Tylenol or prescription medication or recreational drugs, people have an inherent bias that if a tablet is, it's, it's what we've been indoctrinated. It's to. like the doctor gave it to me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and Which also is so I think flawed. It, 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 yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just part of our society. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so, but, but we think that there is a slightly inherent bias to that, especially if you have a product that looks really nice and it comes in a nicely branded package. I think people just inherently, they have a trust level. They start at a higher trust level until you, you know, prove them otherwise, which hopefully you don't. Let's talk about branding and packaging a little bit for a second. This is one of the really hard things for cannabis companies right now, especially ones that 
I know you just finished a round. We'll talk about that in a bit, but haven't raised dozens and dozens of millions of dollars, maybe not hundreds, but dozens. How do you think about branding? Do you position yourself as a craft company? Like how big do you want to be and how much does that influence what the packaging looks like and the branding and everything? I think it's a great name. You've picked a great name, but I know you're still working on some of those other portions. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, your question is how big do we want to be? You know, at some point in the future, prohibitions repealed, you know, we, we can ship across state lines. You're walking down the street. You have a headache for some reason. Maybe you're dehydrated or haven't eaten enough. Walk into a Walgreens, go down to the pain, to the pain aisle because you want to get something for, for your headache. And then on the shelves, there's going to be Tylenol. There's going to be Advil. And then there's going to be a level pro tab of some type, right? Some unique combination of, of cannabinoid that doesn't necessarily have psychoactivity, right? And so that's, that's what we want to do. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be, if we're not the company to do it, there's going to be companies out there that do yeah, it. Absolutely. And so I think it's important to understand if that's the vision of where you want to go, how you build the story around that. So the company can actually get there. And so branding is, is very, very important. Mm-hmm. I think in, in that aspect, mm-hmm. right. It's, it's still a consumer market. Um, but part of the challenge in the cannabis industry is, are you a lifestyle brand? Are you, a, are you a medical brand? Quote mm-hmm. unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, are you an old school OG still in the industry and how do you how do you brand around all of that without mm-hmm. either seeming comical or too sterile or how, you know how do you make a brand that can really um, speak to a lot of different consumer groups mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so once you get that branding and messaging down which is an ever developing process right what about marketing how do you get it out there a lot of people are doing the same thing. Billboards, mm-hmm. they're sponsoring Northern Nights, Outside Lands. Like, what do you find works for you guys? It's it's a really good question. It's a very hard thing. We and you know, f- full transparency, we are not marketers. We don't. <clears throat> that's never been something we've really focused on. Which uh, now we're inverting, and now it's a thing we're we're going to hyper focus on. But you know, we're a product company first, and so we built out the company and the infrastructure so we could do product development, so we could scale. So one day when we do turn marketing on and and kind of figure out how we do that, um, we can put up, hopefully keep up with demand. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that being said, it's a real challenge. We don't have a lot of the tools available to us still that most uh, traditional industries have for um, distribution and marketing channels. And so, you know, we can't virtually no no digital advertising, none, right? So we can't do no Facebook, you know, you can't use Instagram in in certain ways. Mm -hmm. It's tolerant enough that allows the industry to be on it, but we can't use a lot of the, Mm -hmm. the analytics and I think promotion tools they have. So there's a a massive amount of, um, we're at a serious disadvantage. And so you have, you know, uh, groups of how do you reach out to different communities and groups that want to use your products in certain ways, especially when uh, it's very fragmented. So mm-hmm. it's not something that we have figured out at all. And we're just really starting to to try and get down that road. I think ultimately this is still, you're in the trenches. This is a lot of, this is face to face with, uh, with customers. That's the, one of the best ways you get customer acquisition and then help them build confidence and trust in in the brand and the products you create and so you know for us it's really building out a brand ambassador program right now something we haven't had 
um, so we can get people out there and in front of, of consumers. Mm -hmm. Our products are sophisticated and they don't necessarily make sense to people right off the bat. Yep. And so as much as we try and keep building that into the branding and the messaging of the brand itself, it still takes a lot of education. And so we really try to focus our whole quote, quote, you know, marketing campaign is going to be education, yep. education about cannabis, about cannabinoids, all that. And then, you know, eventually it will funnel to, Hey, and these are our products and this is what we'd recommend. But at the end of the day, there's so much education that has to happen in this industry. Um, that it has to be a focal point of, of your messaging. Well, whatever you're doing, it's working. You've seen some good growth. Um, how many stores are you in today? That's a great question. Uh, about 280 in California. That's a big number, yeah. especially how small a team you guys are. How, how yeah. big are you now? Uh, we're about 32 employees. Got it. Um, a lot significant. Half of those are is packaging. Yeah. So a small production team. We've got a few of us in management, three salespeople for the entire state. So, yeah, we, you know, the whole intent is really to build a company that's running lean, but not, not lean to the fact point where you're choked. You know, we want to run really optimized and really lean. Mm -hmm. And so it was something we, when we founded the company, it was um, one of the tenets we wanted to do. So sure. that's how we've, we've been building it and it's working out for us that way. It's very impressive. I've seen the revenue numbers and with a small team, You've done quite well. Yeah, I mean, I'm you. familiar with sort of not your competitors, but your comparable, your comparables mm -hmm. in the industry, and they're struggling. Beside it's, being lean, is there some other ethos or strategy? I mean, how are you achieving this? Uh, I think it has a lot to do with, uh, yeah, I mean, the thesis of our company, this whole effects based, right? When we, four years ago, when we started the company and we were just in the vape market, it was almost impossible to differentiate. And it, not only because the product was essentially the same, but also because it's hard to take unique and rare cannabinoids and put them into a vape because it's prohibitively expensive. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to four years later. Why is that, by the way? Why is the tablet more cost effective than the vape? Um, so because you can take you can take the feedstock material. So let's just use like Delta nine. So if you have some type of input material, whether it's a hash or a sauce or a distillate, you can take that and convert it into, um, you make it part of the formulation. So you combine it with other excipients. You can be very precise. And the process of actually then making tablets is very, uh, is very efficient. Mm -hmm. So you have very little loss versus, if you have distillate and you're going to start filling vape cartridges, there can be a lot of mechanical loss. It takes a lot of material to fill the cartridges. And so you just have to deal with much, much larger volumes of, of, um, of material. And it's, that's not the case for, for tablets, right? Got it. So. Got it. And how about suppliers? You're getting these rare cannabinoids. Has that been an issue? Yeah. It's something we've worked on for a long time. I mean, the, the T the, the vendor we source our THCV from, you know, we've been, we've been working with for almost three and a half years now. Mm -hmm. um, and three years ago, we actually paid them to do a grow for us for THCV because we were just so interested in it. And that mm -hmm. kind of kicked off this whole thing. And so 
Um, yeah, I don't know if we should name him, but David Lampak's a friend of he, ours too. Okay, yeah, yeah, and, He's, and yeah, Doug's Varen. Yeah, Doug's yeah. Varen, and yeah. we it's co-branded on anything we use uh, his THCV sourced material from. He has a co-brand, so the stimulate says Got it. Uh, Doug's Varen on there. Uh, I think he was like number ten, episode ten or something, oh, really? when he was at the Steep Hill days. Still. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, we actually we actually grew the first THCV um, round three years ago at Steep Hill. Uh, on his farm uh-huh. and uh and then we had the material we extracted it so we grew 50 pounds we extracted it we distilled it and then we played around with it right um it made you know combine it with different different um cannabinoids we had available mainly cbd uh, we lo- looked at different terpenoid mixtures just to see modulation of effect and we couldn't can we weren't convinced that it was differentiated enough at that time that people would pay a couple hundred dollars for a vape cart because it had THCV in it. Yeah, no. So we sat on that material for over two years while we were developing the tabling wool. Wow. For the, and you know this this is a big driver in why we did it too because we understood we needed new product classes with which to use um, uh, for unique and rare cannabinoids mm-hmm. because of the cost of those. Got it. I love the way you're so serious about what you do. I think often in the cannabis industry, not that there's not good people doing good work, but it's kind of playtime for a lot of people in some ways. And it's not doing justice to this industry. I know you've been in the industry a long time, but you don't sound like a cannabis person. You, you sound like a scientist. And I know that's because you are, but take us through your history a little bit. Like what brought you here today? Yeah, so I have always had a fascination with uh, plants and plant medicine. Um, and then, I mean, I actually started making... Ex- from like a really young age? Like how old are we talking about here? So I, that's from my early 20s. Mm-hmm. But even from a young age of just, I was always very in- inquisitive, loved chemistry, loved science, was horrible at school. So it took me till I was much older. Fascinating. Yeah. Uh, Why do you think that was? I just was I wasn't interested. Just didn't it, I just didn't fit into the system of how they were trying to, to uh-huh. teach us. Uh-huh. So, I mean, I didn't even go get my bachelor's until I was 28. Okay. So, um, what were you doing in that time period? Working or traveling or a lot? So I was in the Navy. I was a Chinese interpreter oh, okay. in the Navy from 17 to 21. And then, you know, just worked as a draftsman for many years, um, playing, you know, kayaking, mountain biking, rock climbing, just having fun in my yeah. early 20s. Yeah. Went to Burning Man when I was 24. I really didn't ever, I had never tried drugs before Burning Man. And then I went out there my first year. And yeah, it just kind of uh, completely Changed shook my world apart. Yeah. And then it was me just, wow, there's there's some uh, amazing things out there in the world. And so uh, that really put me on the path to say, you know, I really fascinated how you can take this substance and it has a molecule in it and interacts with your body this way and you get some type of physiological um, response and you can also change your own perception. And so that put me back on the path to go to school and, you know, I was working full time and then taking night classes for a year and a half so I could get enough credits so I could go to the university. And then by I was 28, went to university and then the, 31, I went and got my PhD. So um, that was really all inspired by yet these experiences and and um, of the interaction between molecules and, and the human body. 
were you better in school then? I mean, oh, yeah. you got a PhD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you I was, I was much better. I was yeah. much more motivated, and like yeah. I could learn, you know, te- teach myself essentially how I needed to learn. So, so that was that was good. Um, so, anyways, long long rambling story there. Get my PhD. Fascination with a lot of different PhD things. PhD in what? what? Uh, small molecule chemistry. So most people who get the same training I do, they either go work for pharma, uh, either discovering or making drugs, or they go into academics and they teach the next generation of chemists. Uh I never wanted to do that. Didn't want to work for pharma. Always really wanted to be an entrepreneur and own my own company, but I was not sure how that was going to happen because uh, trying to get, trying to build a a chemical company of any type is very expensive. Mm -hmm. Um, And so didn't understand, couldn't reconcile that, but uh, ended up getting a postdoc at Stanford and uh, part of the way through my postdoc, I was just really over academics and I didn't see me going and working in traditional science. So I ended up quitting my postdoc and serendipitously, you know, two weeks later, I'm on a cannabis farm up in Mendocino Cool. and spent a couple months up there living in the, fo- in the redwoods, uh, learning everything about the industry at that time. That was, what that was 2012, that was early 2012. Yeah. And then that you know i saw a i was incredibly inspired by the plant b i saw the state of the industry and c there you could there was just an inherent underlying energy that this was all changing and regulation was coming down the pike at some point so this was going to be an opportunity to to really try and do something um, and i saw a need for standardized products and innovative products mm-hmm. that nobody i think was even thinking of at that time got it yeah, it was all plastic baggies and got yeah, it from the it's, dude. It's and, turkey bags. I mean, this was when there were just a few, you know, hash oil right. pens that were coming on the market. They were the terrible like, pens. They were like the ones you had to reload yeah. with the little dab and it was messy. Yeah, they, or they were mainly like Atmos you know, like, or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, different glycol carrier solvents and a little bit of hash in there or something. So it was, you know, it, things were really starting to change at that time. And um, yeah, it was just... it just put me on this obsessive path of you know what i really want to see what we can do it's it, the ability to pioneer and have no guiding no no guiding light except for your own um your own vision mm-hmm. you know moving forward that's that's pretty amazing that that never happens and so this is a really nice confluence of a lot of different events in my life who put me in this point i'm like sweet i'm gonna run with this what an amazing thing to wake up every day and do what you love Right. Most people just don't have that luxury. And I, I know there's hard times. The canvas industry is tough, but your guiding light, like you said, is you love what you do every day. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's amazing. And um, yeah, and it is good. It's hard at times, but it's very good to take a step back for a second mm-hmm. and appreciate where you are. Yeah. yeah. And what you have what you've actually done, because you can never move fast enough. Right. Day, yeah. Day in and day out, all the minutiae, it's never moving fast enough. And that's why you got to take your THCA and your THCV. That's right. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> Plug. Um, so you've been in the industry seven years, which in cannabis is forever. Nowadays it is. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> um, you've seen a big change as far as the market, a lot of more money, state legalization. One of the things that has persisted is there's a tremendous issue with the black market. Mm-hmm. How does that impact you given that you don't sell flowers and traditional products and Kind of give me your thoughts on the state of the industry and black market as a whole. Like, what do we do about this? Do we need to do anything about it? Yeah, we absolutely have to do something about it. I mean, it's we need it to go away. 
it's such a direct competitor and threat to the actual to the regulated market to what you do or just the market as a whole just the market as a whole yeah. and people there's a lot of people that will disagree with me right because there are a lot of there's a significant number of people that had cannabis businesses in prop 215 that because of how onerous regulation was they weren't able to make the transition right and so well, like 80 percent of brands died in 2018 like that. yeah it's crazy like that. yeah you know so there are a lot of people that were dedicating their lives and, and building something that um, kind of vanished. And so that, that's part of the aspect, right? Um, but the tar part I'm really addressing is, yeah, just the illicit nature of people are growing, they can, you know, grow and now extract. I mean, look at the stuff that's happening with vapes, right? The, um, the counterfeit in the vape market's insane. And you have no idea what these, what is being put into the vape. Yeah. Flower is a little different, right? I mean, Hey, there's, they're probably spraying it with a lot of pesticides, yep. fungicides, and other things. So there is a health, potential health risk um, that way too. Um, but as you start manufacturing products, it takes a little more sophistication, and you know I think the the stakes go up. You're dealing now with much more highly concentrated material, um, and if there are um, contamination and adulterants there, that can be really significant when you're when you're inhaling. So I think for us from a safety standpoint, the illicit market really does need to go away um, so consumers can be safe and um, and also to help normalize it right to, to help making it bring it as part of a, a standard industry here in the states um, and to combat that you know there's I don't know what they're gonna do but first and foremost they need to lower taxes yeah it's ridiculous yeah um, what should um, the tax structure look like I don't know. That's a great question. I'm not an expert in tax law, but yeah, but you're living it. I am. You know, it. it they need to reduce it so so people can afford it, mm -hmm. and so we can try and you know not have people using the illicit market um, to a if they can't afford it, or a they don't just don't want to buy into the whole regulated market, or c there's a lot of patients out there that can't afford regulated cannabis and they yep. need it and they yep. need a large quantities of it because it's helping them. So, yep. you know, uh, reducing taxes should help that. There's a whole conversation around the compassion programs and, you know, that are trying to come online that should help. There's that, basically no medical program left. No, there's not. That went away. Yeah, for sure. So, um, now if we were still, we, obviously we always understood how big the, the market was, outside of prop 215 right so if people are, are shipping state by state doing stuff so we knew we knew how significant was that at that point but then in early 2018 you just saw what was happening and we um, we made a decision that we were going to phase out 510 cartridges because that was that's just a place we wouldn't be able to play it's a, just too competitive it's way too competitive in the regulated market and then when you have to compete that against the illicit market sure. it's impossible yeah um, so you decided on the pods. So we decided we, we would we would keep pods with packs because they're um, they've been a great partner for us and you know helps to differentiate our product line. Mm -hmm. um, but you know that's where you know, we were really able to drill down and start focusing more on on tablets. So Wh what? Sorry, go ahead. You know, just to finish that up, I think which I think helps a little bit because the tablet was <clears throat> the tablet was still really new. It's still new for a lot of people, but um, there wasn't anything uh, like it that was being put on the illicit market. Plus it was so different, it really helped open a ton of doors for us. And mm. so mm. it, I think in some ways it's, it's kind of helped to insulate us from some of that pain because we had product classes that were so unique, um, we could keep sales going. Got it, got 
Got it. And there was no, there was nothing in the illicit market. So someone wouldn't say, I'm not going to buy your vape cart. I'm going to go the illicit market for it. Right. If someone wanted a tablet, they were going to come into a shop and get it, a regulated. Which is brilliant. Yeah. How much did you think about that ahead of time? We actually thought, we thought about the, the product development and the use cases for a long time while we did this. Because mm -hmm. we, we, We've been very active since regulations were being drafted, mm -hmm. you know, back in the days of MRSA. Yeah. Yeah. And we saw what was going to happen. So we tried to be very intentional and and judicious about product development mm -hmm. and product choice. It shows. It shows. Um, how do we solve this black market solution? Like, I find it kind of ironic. I think the solution is they have to start raiding places again, mm. which like for cannabis folks is wild, you know, that now the legal cannabis folks right. are like, yeah, go ahead and raid them. And this used to be like the biggest fear ever, right? Yeah. Now, a lot of them are delivery companies. I think it's more of an issue in LA than it is in Northern California. But is that the solution? Do we have to crack down? Do we have to do raids? Uh, there has to be a crackdown. I'm not sure what enforcement looks like. You know, if it's an illicit cultivation, shut the power off mm -hmm. or let's, mm -hmm. you know, levy heavy or fines. Or the water. Yeah. Or, or heavy fines. Yeah. Right. You know, I, I still don't think, I don't think we should be incarcerating people for operating outside the system. Mm -hmm. uh, but there should be stiff penalties to help deter people from doing it. Or if they still decide they're going to, then, you know, I, I think it should be a penalty, something that's strong enough to dissuade people from doing it, yeah. but not, not through, you know, not lock them up. Right. So, but yeah, enforcement's such a hard Hard, hard thing. Question. It's such a hard question. Um, I mean, are we ever going to have the days where you can't go on Craigslist and buy weed? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't there, think so. there's probably always going to be some vestige yeah. of some type of illicit market, but this one is definitely going to be around for a decade. Yeah. At least I think yeah. uh, with, you know, significant, um, uh, time frame of, of trying to trying to wind it down. But I think it'll always be there. Yeah. Right? So these big dreams of growth of being in CVS certainly don't come cheap. I know that you, you're just closing up around with Gotham Green, which seems to be putting money everywhere that I would. <laughs> uh, chemistry, our long-term client as well. Um, tell us a little bit about that process. I know it's been a long sort of process for you. Um, yeah. How did that kind of turn out? Yeah, uh, it was a very long process. I think, like a lot of people, experienced um, mid of mid twenty eighteen, July and August. It was like a deluge. There was so much inbound from companies in the U.S., um, operators, private equity, high net worth individuals, Canada. You know, it was a frenzy last year, mm -hmm. <clears throat> and we actually. Um, we tried not to get caught up in it, but you do, right? So went down this path, probably seven months, just talking to everyone we could, um, taking a lot of meetings, make site visits, just trying to figure out what this new landscape was going to look like um, when we went out to, to fundraise. And, um, you know, we we considered acquisitions from some people, you know, just you had to put your toes in the water and just mm -hmm. feel out what everything everything that was going on. Uh, and so, uh, but nothing really fit right. We, we actually got really close um, to getting to a deal table with a couple groups, but at the end it was just, you know, ultimately everyone was still looking for some type of acquisition. And we were, were like, no, we would, we'd be leaving way too much on the table and mm -hmm. you know, we're just about to start to get started. So yep. this is going to get fun. Yep. And so um, 
you know, I, I had been talking to Gotham a little bit uh, in late 2018, but we hadn't opened around and, you know, nothing was uh, at a place to move forward. And then, you know, I hit him up again in early February and just said, hey, here's what's going on. And um, they said, yeah, let's let's talk again. So we kind of went down that process and um, I've really enjoyed it the process with them their team's awesome mm -hmm. they're super smart mm -hmm. um and yeah they've they've got a lot of they've got a lot of capital to, de to deploy and the ecosystem that they're building out is is really impressive yeah talk about the the strategic there i mean that's something gets tossed around a lot it's not just money yeah what can gotham specifically help you with yeah it's a good great point and it's something we said a lot was there was a lot of money out there and money's fungible. So we could have taken capital from a lot of different places, mm -hmm. but we really wanted a strategic partner in the fact to say, okay, Hey, um, yeah, we, from, Hey, we need to solve this problem because we need a fractional CFO. How can, you know, who do you guys know in your network or who can in introduce us to, yep. to, you know, we're really going to start looking state by state. How do we, you know, of your partners in different states, can we get introductions to them? Can we talk to them about how they've gone through that process? Um, so, and then on the, um, not, not on the supply side necessarily, but there's a lot of companies in their, in their ecosystem too that have different technologies, right? And so all of a sudden you can start having conversations with different groups of, hey, I have this idea for a product. Mm. Um, it's going to take this kind, this kind of, um, technology to really get it off the ground and, and that that really starts being available to accessing those networks quickly yep um, also just retail right just getting into more stores I know chemistry our, our client was like day one like oh let's get into MedMen we need to be in MedMen and they were like oh you're in MedMen you know so it's very powerful they're very powerful um, very cool it's a, it's a nice decision it's yeah help thank you, you. Yeah. yeah no and we're, we're really excited about it so yeah, yeah, as you should be. Um, so I guess beyond the fundraising, like what's that going to allow you to do? You know, I, I know you were looking at a new facility. Mm -hmm. Like what else do you want to spend that money on? Yeah, so um, you guys have been to our, our spot in San Francisco. It's 2,200 square feet total. We have 620 square feet of manufacturing space. Um, and, uh, and it's amazing how much we can actually crank out of there. But for us to really grow and expand, we need more space. So uh, a facility build out is a big part of, mm -hmm. of how we're going to deploy that capital. Um, Will you stay in San Francisco? Yes, we're doing everything we can to stay in San Francisco. And why is that important? I think it, well, first off, I feel it'd be the least disruptive because we actually, we've been operating here for four years. We've been through the whole process. We, you know, we know the city, we know a lot of the regulators. Um, we were founded here. So, you know, we love the city and we think that it's pretty amazing to be able to build a company here. So, but the cost structure is certainly, it's tricky. Yep. It yeah. is. It is tricky. And so these are things that you really have to, you know, take into consideration mm -hmm. when moving forward, but uh, facility build out, you know, there's, there's a ton of, I, I have so many products in my head that I want to create mm -hmm. but we need space for that there's a lot of r&d that has to happen so space build out is not just we're going to scale manufacturing it's also there's dedicated areas we need for doing a lot of r&d for product development mm -hmm. isolation of different cannabinoids you know so all of this our ability to really keep testing this thesis is dependent on us having the right facility so that, that's a big one 
And as I mentioned earlier, you know, uh, this marketing uh, kind of bucket that we haven't been able to really focus on, we're, we're going to supercharge that, mm -hmm. right, through the whole education campaign and then outreach to, to consumers. Yep. Um, um, and the person that handles that side is your lovely wife, Bree. That's she, correct. She's wonderful as well. Um, so your life partner is also your business partner. Does that create issues? How is that working together all day, all night, all the time? Yeah, I think it. Uh, you definitely have to have the right uh, fit, and um, you know. So uh, Bree wasn't a, an original founder. She came okay. in. She came in a, uh, over a few years ago, uh, when we were seeing that we were going to have some traction, but uh, we didn't have any sales, and none of us were salespeople. Mm -hmm. And so as as Bree started to really come in and take on more and more responsibilities and roles, you know, uh, the the original, the other two founders, they, they became non-operational. Mm -hmm. Um, and so then it just kind of be, it became us and our show. Yeah. And so there's a lot of challenges, obviously. Yeah. Working 24 seven, um, especially in a highly stressful environment. Um, so we had to work out, you know, some different things, uh, having some fast rules about, Hey, when we get home, when we're tired at the end of the night, we can't talk about work. Like so let's, we need to come Do you talk at all at night or, um, we do, yeah, we do. We do talk at night, but yeah. we also do take, take the time we need, you know, for ourselves. You know, fortunately we have, we've been together 20 years. Wow. Uh, we've been married for 16. Uh, we have been through a few cycles in life. Uh, you know, me get going, getting my bachelor's in the early days, and then me going and her coming with me, getting a PhD. And so we've been through a few events in life where you have these this, these goals and it's a long-term play and we've been through it. So we know we work really, really well together. Yeah. And um, she's very orthogonal to me. All of all of the things I'm not good at or I don't like, she's very good at. Complimentary. Yeah. yeah. And so it works really well. And, you know, uh, who, who, who more can I trust than my wife to help Absolutely. build this? And so, um, yeah, it's... It, it's been pretty amazing. I, I wouldn't do it any other way. And no kids, correct? We have like 32 of them. No. <laughs> They're all no. doing packaging yes. currently. Yeah. Uh, no, no children for us. We made a we made a conscious decision several years ago that we weren't going to have children. And um, I, I love that you're definitive. It's, it's yeah. Like, oh yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. And so I think it was one of the best decisions that we've ever made. How do potential investors, or I guess Gotham, look at the fact that you guys are married? Is that a plus? Is that a minus? Yeah, it's a, it's interesting. We didn't we weren't aware of how people were going to you know view that. Um, we had some feedback early on from just outside people, no investors, like oh nobody's going to invest in you guys. They won't like that. I think at the end of the day, though, you sit down at a table with us, you talk to us, and then you look at what we're building. Yeah. And it's hard. To, it's hard to argue that yeah. what we're doing isn't working for our company. And so, um, Gotham has had no problem with it. It's yeah. you know she's she's been there every step of the way. And um, I don't even though we are married, I, they don't view it that way. Yeah. yeah. She's she functions as the COO. I'm the CEO. Mm -hmm. And. We're building the company, so. Yeah, I mean, every company is its own unique story, and um, every investment is its own unique story. Um, I like it. I think there's yeah. a lot of advantages. First of all, your costs and expenses every month certainly are lower, <laughs> right? You've got your wife clearly bought in, mm -hmm. which can be a problem for entrepreneurs. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean. And I, I think in cannabis, it's 
somewhat unique because of how cannabis has moved from, you know, Prop 215 quasi legal gray market to the regulated market. There's a lot of husband and wife teams mm. out there. Mm. Um, you know, we're definitely not the first, it won't be the last, but in cannabis, I feel that there's, you know, th there's a lot of them, you know, uh, Kiva is, I think the prime example, yep. you know, of a, um, one of the front runner companies out there that's run by yep. a husband and wife. And then, yeah, I, I actually know quite a few of them. Well, it, husband and wife, or I should say just partners, you yeah. know, somatic as well. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. So, you know, so Absolutely. a lot of companies And they work great together. They do. Yeah. I think it speaks to the sort of uh, community aspect of the cannabis industry too, right? I think that's one of the things that I really hope we don't lose mm -hmm. is obviously we need big money. We need companies to grow this, big companies to grow this. And some of that comes with some more professionalism, so corporization, mm -hmm. but... I really hope we don't lose that. How do how do we keep the culture of cannabis around? No, I appreciate you saying that because I totally agree with you, right? There's there's a lot of different stakeholders right now and this industry can look very different uh, will look very different in 5 years and there's a lot of different possibilities. So and one thing that cannabis is it is it's community. Mm -hmm. It always has been. And so I think the people that are still operating in it keeping that alive, remembering it and, and comporting themselves as such, you know, it's not lip service. It, mm -hmm. you, there needs to be action in it. And so I think that, you know, through, um, a lot of the operators still, still working together, I am still amazed how competitive this industry is, but then how, you know, friendly most operators are. It's not uncommon to have groups of operators that are competitors together and hanging out and, um, and enjoying uh, some cannabis together, which mm -hmm. is amazing. And I also think it speaks to the nature of cannabis. Mm -hmm. it, it is, it's, it can be very social, right? So it's very communal. It, it really is. So yeah. inherently, I, I think that that helps to, um, that, that gets carried through, but we, we definitely need to fight to survive, to keep it that way and not, not forget the legacy, right? We can only build this now because of prop 215 that was built on, you know, um, the AIDS crisis essentially, mm -hmm. right? And the need to help um, individuals that were suffering from that. So, and then legacy farmers that have been around for generations. And there's a ton of history in California. People in that this, went to jail. Well, yeah, People they've that lost, lost everything. Lost their lives. Exactly. Know, yeah. And so I think it's very important for us who are operating now to to keep those to keep those memories alive and remember that that's that's actually where this came from. Mm -hmm. um, um, so one of the things that's still really tricky in this industry is distribution. Um, and you're in a bunch of stores. You're in a lot of stores. I know that you were very early with Blackbird and the partnership there. How has that sort of developed? Like, how do you see distribution going, at least for you guys? Anyway? <clears throat> so distribution is very challenging, uh, especially with regulation because of how onerous it can be. So thankfully, there are companies that will do last mile fulfillment mm -hmm. um, kind of services. They'll do full distribution as well. Something that we just felt very early on and, and we noticed in the industry was, you know, distributors can be very good to get you in into doors um, and and to move your product around the state, but no one's going to build the brand mm. like your team. And so we always wanted to do, to do our own self distribution, which which we had, um, and and still do. But the way the distribution has changed too is distribution is really the testing and taxation layer as well, which yep. is just 
insane mm-hmm. that they went about it that way. Um, I don't really, you know, some the taxation layer, it is what it is, right? That's just money passing around. But the testing layer is vital for us. Mm. And so when we think about distribution, it's we have to control our own testing because of the the sophistication of the products. Um, and then after that point, you know, for us, we, we definitely want someone to do last mile fulfillment for us. Um, but, you know, we've also chosen to not go with a full scale to distributor because some of experience we've had, we've had, and just the fact that, you know, if we want to build this, we've, we need to, we need to be the ones that are in there with the stores, with the buyers. Mm-hmm. It's such a, it's still such a person to person industry, you know, one day it's going to be amazing when I'm going to be able to just pull up on some dashboard and be like, okay, store XYZ has these SKUs. These ones haven't been moving. Let's switch those out. Right. And get uh, mature like so many other industries because you know, it's still just like texting and buyers texting your salespeople like, Hey, I'm going to take an order or can you guys come in for that? And so um, there, there is a massive need to have FaceTime, not only with the customer, Right to really keep acquiring them and to build your brand, but also with the buyers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we feel that inserting a distribution layer between that, if a, if someone was distributing for us, would would really remove that. And so, because customer acquisition isn't necessarily just the end consumer, it, it's also the dispensary, right? Well, particularly in this industry, yeah. right? Um, which does bring up an interesting topic of direct consumer D to C stuff. And I know mm-hmm. Blackbird's been working on that for a long time. A lot of brands excited about that. Yeah. I think your product is particularly um, positioned for D to C. How much do you think about that? How much of the future growth is is there? We we used to think about it a lot more. Ultimately, I still think direct to consumer is going to be a very significant part of the market. Mm-hmm. But how how far away is that? Is that three years? Is it six? I don't know. Ultimately, yes, I think it's going to be a massive part of the market. Our product is perfect for mm-hmm. it. It's lightweight. It's small. You could hopefully one day ship it yeah (laughs) right yeah uh but as of right now last year we thought about direct to consumer a lot um, but it's really challenging to do direct to consumer it it takes a massive amount of resource Mm -hmm. in different ways especially the logistics aspect of it and um, although there are um, you can work with companies like blackbird that can help facilitate that you know um, people still unlike ease i think which did a good job of capturing a part of the market figuring out how to do that and operate you know for, for brands it's hard to to really get out for these customer segments when you don't have things as we discussed facebook or instagram that you yep. can really target people yep. right and so yeah how are you acquiring users for exactly. d2c yeah so we are our, our direct-to-consumer runs quietly in the background mm-hmm. but um you know 90 99.5 of all sales is still b2b yeah, yeah. right um, so you brought up being able to ship it across state lines eventually or international lines. Mm. So that's possible today if we're talking hemp and CBD. But I have big concerns about that industry and what's exploding and whether that's really effective, whether mm. hemp CBD works. You're one of the most educated minds I think we have in the industry. You're very humble, but that's the way I feel about it. Is CBD hemp effective? So the molecule of CBD is the same no matter where you get it from, mm-hmm. right? Now, you can have other components around it. So when you extract hemp, and if it's true hemp, like USO31 or Fanola, if you're extracting that kind of hemp, you get very different quality material out. Mm. Um, 
and I'm not saying that you get worse quality, you just get a very different type of material out mm-hmm. versus if you do, you know, some drug type, high expressing CBD, Charlotte's Web, ACDC. So you get very different kind of products out, but the CBD in them, it's identical mm-hmm. or CBDA depending on how, you, you know. Um, now, you, you might not be pulling out terpenoid mixtures that are similar. Flavonoids can change. So the, a lot of the other constituents, a lot of the oils, those will change. But, um, you know, if you are sourcing CBD and it's been processed correctly from hemp, it will the CBD itself is exactly the same as if you got it from a drug-type cannabis plant. Got it. And anecdotally, do you find those products work for you? What? The hemp CBD I don't product? use hemp CBD product. At all. <laughs> no. Only cannabis yeah, CBD. Yeah. That's me too because I, I've tried a number of them. We meet with all kinds of companies. They all want us to try oh, their, yeah. their stuff, you know. And I just, I don't find the hemp CBD works for me. I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of people don't like simply CBD isolate. Uh-huh. And so they have much better effect when yeah they have terpenoids and flavonoids and other cannab you know minor cannabinoids Mm -hmm. for synergistic effects you know um called the entourage effect um you know you have multiple drug components working in concert for synergistic effects so Mm -hmm. it it's actually a powerful um thing that happens when you consume consume these so i think some people though may or may not feel it if it's just say an isolate or yeah comes yeah. from from hemp so i guess i don't have to ask whether you're planning a hemp cbd line and going across the world with it no not at the not at the moment <laughs> i mean i'm not saying it wouldn't be great one day to just uh, well everybody likes money well and you know how nice would it be to say oh i'm just going to manufacture here in my facility and ship anywhere in the state versus oh i have to go and replicate my my manufacturing pipeline now in multiple states, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. um, but no, <laughs> got it. I want to switch gears a little bit. Talk about you as a person. Aside from level products, are there? How do you like to consume? Like flowers, other vapes, anything else that you use? I created the products that I would use. Got it. So I use tablets, tablinguals. I it. use ProTabs, and uh, I love I love the gum. Got it. So, and what about the pods? Do you? You know, I've never really been, I, I've never smoked a lot. I, Anything. In, in my younger days, I did it so, you know, I socially, yeah. you know, cannabis and stuff. Uh, we, you know, sitting around with people, not cigarettes. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I don't like, in, I don't it. like inhaling. Interesting. So, yeah. and then, uh, and edibles, I'm not a, I'm not an edibles fan at all. Me neither. So, yeah. Hmm. Um, and I know a lot of THC in the morning that gets you going. Well, THCA. THCA, yeah. excuse me, yeah, yeah. very different. Um, <laughs> cool. THCA in the morning. Um, and then at night, are you heavy on the THC? Are you trying to get high or no? no? I mean, you know, I am not a big user of Delta 9 THC. Yeah. But all the other cannabinoids, I use them all the time. You love. Yep. So, you know, I have THC. You know, I usually wake up in the morning and I have THCA. Yeah. And then... Uh, at night or, and then during the day, you know, uh, jobs can be stressful. So I probably have some CBG. I definitely have THCV every day in the afternoon. And then, yeah, at night, uh, Delta eight is really nice at the end of the day. And then, you know, for sleep, depending on where I'm at, it's CBG, CBD and THCA, you know, and or Delta eight. So it's, yeah. There's a lot. So I do consume a lot of different yeah. cannabis, but um, usually not a Delta 9 THC. 
so authentic. I mean, I think part of your education and part of your marketing has to be like, you're this person, you created these products that are for you, and you're not concerned with getting high. I think that's fantastic brand story for what you guys are building. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that it seems to be turning out that way and it looks like it's going to be good, but yeah, I literally want created the products. I'm like, I want I want this product. I want this feeling. I want this effect. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, how do you stay informed? There's so much news. There's so much happening. Cannabis. How do you stay on top of it? Uh, just the onslaught of texts and emails I get from people. Did you see this? Did you, I can't believe this is happening. Uh, it's a really good question. I feel, uh, I, I don't, I, every, I don't read stuff every day. Uh-huh. I don't have like a digest that comes across. Yeah. It's, it really is kind of, um, you know, a couple different maybe email groups and then friends, uh-huh. um, and acquaintances or, it, it is actually pretty amazing how many people will just email you out of the blue mm-hmm. and like, Hey, did you hear about this? Like people that I don't even know, but they're like, I love level, but Hey, have you guys heard about this? And yeah. they just pass information. So, um, that's, that's pretty, pretty much just your it. network. Just yeah. people around you. Uh-huh. That's cool too. Um, because I, here's one thing as much as there's all this information, it, there is so much noise out there and most of it really doesn't matter at all it doesn't matter at all because we're not pl- a lot of this is still just more instantaneous information or oh hey this is happening and in my mind cannabis is such a long game if you're mm-hmm. not in if you're not in it for the long game uh then then you'll approach it very differently and yeah. so because there is so much noise out there most of it for us really now is yeah obviously stay up on things that are happening federally, locally at the state level, but that's even moving pretty slow mm-hmm. at, at the moment. And it's, it's head down and grind. Yeah. You know? I think it's a really important lesson for founders that like, this is a long game and you've been grinding at it for some time and seeing some real success now. And I think like being in it for the long haul is most something that startups and entrepreneurs they don't think about enough. I mean, is there, how do you cope with those sort of ups and downs? I mean, besides your own products, like do you, do you meditate? Do you yoga? What do you do? I think that uh, exercise is very important. So I run and I do do, um, you know, yoga and stretching in the mornings and work out because it's the only way I can really Every day. keep my sanity. I try to, yeah. I mean, it's probably four, four days a week. That's great though. But, um, Definitely. When you start to get my age, it's hard to, you know, so. You're not old. (laughs) Come on. But that's also a valuable lesson. We're so obsessed, particularly in Silicon Valley, of like, he's a whiz kid. He's 20 years old. He's making it. Well, and you know what? If this is very different, if this is if we're still in the software industry, then it still would be 18 to 18 months to three years, quick turnarounds, people just looking for to sell and to exit with some upside. And yeah, you could be a 22 year old kid because you've been programming and developing things in software for 10 or 12 years. So you are an expert, but this is a, such a different industry that this, that paradigm doesn't fit here. Yeah. And look, to be very successful in technology, maybe this is too general, but it's not really business. If that makes sense. Like you can create an amazing product, raise a ton of money and really have very little business acumen. You might not make it and be super successful, but you can establish a pretty big company just by being an excellent engineer. And it's just not like that in this industry. Uh, I, 
you do you definitely have to be on your toes this thing there are so many balls in the air at any given point because it's not as though hey i can build something and this is not um not taking away from the success of the hard work of anyone in tech but you you don't sit it you can't sit down at your table with your computer in enough um bandwidth and start creating yeah. this is you have supply chains you have regulation you have compliance issues you have banking issues i mean just name it and in this industry you have to deal with it so you do the the one thing that i am really really that i excel at is the one thing i don't ever get to do and that's product development mm -hmm. and fortunately for me that's something that just happens naturally and it's just constantly happening yeah. up there yeah but um it's everything else that I had that takes all all my bandwidth because everything is so critical that you really can't drop a ball at the moment. Yeah. And um, and it, it's really taxing, right? Mm -hmm. And it's exhausting. And so then you know you do need to make sure you're taking step backs and yeah. and taking care of yourself and and looking at the long game for it. So you were in the Navy. You have a very technical PhD. Now you've been in the cannabis industry for a long time. How do your peers sort of from your past view what you're doing today? Are they accepting? Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> Love that answer. Uh, I don't, uh, I don't really have, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't have a lot of contact with any of them. Got it. And at the end of the day, I, I don't care. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I've always been, I've always been someone that I don't care what anyone else thinks. I'm just going to go do it because yeah. that's what it's what I want to do. Yeah. Um, so, you know, my parents were the same way. Like when, when I <clears throat> told, you know, my mom, I was like, yeah, well, you know, I'm leaving my postdoc at Stanford. And I'm going to go up on a cannabis farm. I thought she was going to die, <laughs> uh, you know, but she's, she's been with me, uh, long, you know, uh, my whole life. And so she knows kind of, this is my MO and, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm going to, we're going to make something work out. So does she use the products? Actually she does. Right. So she, That's she, amazing she has her favorites and you know, she's, she's in her mid seventies and has some health issues and never used cannabis. Uh -huh. um, and she doesn't drink. Uh -huh. Right. So, um, and, but she, her and my dad both have their regimen. That's and, gotta be a cool feeling. Yeah. No, it's great. Yeah. It's awesome. to Be able to create something. Um, not only my parents, but Bree's parents as well. Uh -huh. Right. People who uh -huh. are very non-traditional, they, you know, uh, customer uh, cannabis consumers they don't consume it yeah um, and then to, to see them over the years they're like hmm maybe there is something to this and then they see what you're building and say wow okay that's pretty amazing and then they try your products and then they use them so do you have a favorite book do you have time to read you know uh i love i love reading and i didn't a lot for the past few years, but have kind of gotten back into it. Um, something you had to do a ton, right, in your graduate career and, uh -huh. and elsewhere. But uh, I don't know. I like uh, a lot of historical stuff. I uh -huh. like historical stuff, uh -huh. especially around San Francisco. There's a lot of interesting stuff um, or thrillers. Just something kind of bubblegum for the brain. Something just turn to it just off. escape. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, this has been awesome, man. Thank you so much for joining us and educating us. Like I said, I think you're one of the best minds that we have in the cannabis industry. Uh, there's a couple others. Paul from Chemistry, I think, is fantastic as well. Others that I won't mention at the moment. Um, this is your chance to use the platform however you like. Are you hiring for something? You know, how, how can we help you? Oh, well, that's an interesting question. Uh, no, I think just, um, yeah, check, check out... Uh, 
level. Yeah. Uh, we yeah. we're going through a whole website redesign yeah. as well. Yeah. So um, there will be a lot more information out there. Yeah. Um, feedback is always appreciated. Mm. You know, constructive criticism. It's the only way that we can get better. We are hiring for brand ambassadors. Um, that will be the biggest hire in LA, in all over the state. Of we the just state. hired a brand manager. So this is kind of a very key hire for us. Who's going to really help us with this aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, and aside from that, I mean, uh, everything else is, is kind of filled. So good stuff. Yeah. Well, Chris, thanks yeah. so much. Brandon, for really joining us. It. it was really great. And yeah, congrats on the round and, uh, excited to see where it goes. Thank you very much. Appreciate yeah, it for sure.